0: to pray with me. Father, we come before you celebrating who you are, grateful for your power, and now we come to the teaching from your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us and challenge us through your word this morning. We thank you for the gift and blessing of your revelation of yourself to us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I did an internet search this week to find out the answer to this question, what is the best-selling book of all time. And so the most of the list that came up, the first thing on the list was the book Don Quixote. Truth be told, I've never read Don Quixote. Um, so 500 million copies of Don Quixote have been sold. On most lists, the second book on the list uh, was The Tale of Two Cities. Uh, I have read that one. Uh, 200 million copies of that have been sold. The third book was Fellowship of the Ring, 150 million copies. Then further down the list, you, you may recognize Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone. That was at number five with 100 million copies. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at number 10 with 85 million copies. So you may be wondering what I was wondering. Where where does the Bible fall on that list? Well, for whatever reason, the the people who accumulated these lists, they didn't consider the Bible in the running or in that category, because when I did some more investigation to find how many copies of the Bible do people estimate have been sold, and Guinness Book of World Records estimates that 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold. So that's 10 times more than the the best-selling book. Um, So... This that we look at this morning is the best-selling book of all time. As David mentioned earlier, we'll be looking at this book, and particularly the climax of the story of the Bible are the Gospels. And the Gospels tell the story of the life of Jesus. And one of those Gospels, the one that we'll be looking through this semester, is the Gospel of Mark. It was written by Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. So many people would argue that Jesus was the most impactful person who has ever walked the face of the earth. So as we walk through this sermon series, we are looking at the best-selling book of all time, examining the stories from the life of the person who's had more impact than anyone else in all time. So the story we'll look at this morning about the life of Jesus is Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. So I encourage you to to go there, Mark 2, 1 through 12. And while the words will be up on the screen as I read this through, I I encourage you to take your Bible out and, and leave it open so you can follow along as we go back through this story and begin to put ourselves in these circumstances. You know, one of the great things about a story is is it gives us the opportunity to, to put ourselves in a different set of circumstances and examine life through that different perspective, through those different circumstances. So I really want us to do that this morning as we read this story for us to step into the story to look around and imagine what we would have done or been thinking if we were in this story experiencing these things. So Mark 2 verses 1 through 12, Peter writes this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus, Because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. This is an amazing story. As we step into this story and look around, I want to remind you that Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. And then now, um, Nazareth was about 30 or so miles from um, Capernaum. He, his ministry began when he was baptized by John the Baptist, which was about 30 miles to the south of Nazareth and Capernaum. So he begins his ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist, and he he goes out to be alone for 40 days. And then he returns, and he calls some followers or disciples to him, and he begins teaching and healing. And his teaching is so incredible, and his healing is so astonishing that large crowds are gathering everywhere he goes, Crowds such that he can no longer or rarely enter cities or towns because the crowds are so large, so he stays outside the town and the crowd comes to him. So in verse four, uh, 1, we're told that a few days later or sometime later, so Jesus is in the midst of this beginning of his ministry. He's, he's teaching and, and drawing big crowds with this healing. And in verse 1, we're told that Jesus again entered Capernaum. They, the people there, they heard he had come home. So, so it could be that this that Capernaum, that this home they're talking about, it could be the Peter and Andrews home. or, or perhaps it was um, it, it was a place that Jesus had been given um, that, he, that he was kind of his home base um, that he'd come back and take a break from this traveling ministry. But in either case, this this was known as home. The people there knew him. And um, so he returns. They had heard these stories of his teaching, of his miracles. And since they had heard about that, they hear that he's at this place. And so many gathered that the house is packed. So people are crowded, not only inside the house, completely filling this house, but they're crowded all around the house. Now, picture this was probably a a one-room house or so, not not very large, had open windows and doors. So so people packed this house, and then they're, they're around the edges, looking in the doors and windows, listening in, all crowded in. You know, consider the, the buzz of all these people gathered together. Consider the, the smells or the sounds. And as you're in here, packed into this place, but you're all so eager to hear this teacher, this healer. You know, um, Capernaum was, uh, was guessed to be, have a population of about a thousand people. So it's a pretty small town. So you think, okay, it's a town of 1,000 people. This house is absolutely packed, and there's people all around it. So I'm guessing, I mean, that, that's at least 50 people that are in and all around and crowded around this house. Maybe it was more. But I think about the percentage. If, if 50 people or so in, from this town of 1,000 people were all gathered around, that's a pretty big percentage of the town's population. If I compare that to West Lafayette and think about, you know, West Lafayette, the population is around 45,000 if you don't count Purdue. Um, So 5% of the population of of that would be 2,250 people or so. So then I think, okay, what if if Rob Iman returned home? And and everybody hears about that. And all of a sudden, 2,250 people pile into Rob's house, in and around it. And they're all there. Like, that would be a pretty big event in our community to see 2,200 people piled in and around Rob's house. Now, West Lafayette, we're used to kind of big events because of Purdue, But Capernaum was not accustomed to big events like this. So this was a big deal that people are crowded in and around this house. The buzz would have been incredible. This is a big deal for the town of Capernaum. So Jesus starts teaching. And while he's teaching, some friends of a man who is paralyzed, they get this great idea they get this idea that, you know what, we've heard about the healings that Jesus has done, and, and our friend, let's call him Abaya. We don't know what his name is, but we'll call him Abaya. So these friends get this idea that, guys, maybe we should bring Abaya to Jesus. You've heard about his healings. Certainly, he can heal Abaya. If anybody can, this Jesus can. So, so they get excited about it. They're convinced. I don't know how Abai is feeling. He, in his humility, he may not be sure he wants to do it or, or he's, he's not sure he wants the attention or he doesn't want to get his hopes up, but, but his friends bring him to Jesus. They get to this crowded house with people all around it and, and they can't get to Jesus. So one of the friends has this idea. And he shares the idea with his friends, and they say, You're, you're crazy. No way. That's not going to work. But he says, No, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm determined. This, if we can get Abiah to Jesus, he will be healed. So they are determined. So they go up and, and the way the houses would have been set up, it would have had a flat roof. And on this flat roof, it would have been, um, you know, wood beams across the roof. And then across those wood beams, there would have been thatch laid over top of those. And then, and then mud um, spread over top of that. And then more, more thatch and more mud and more thatch and more mud and created this hard surface on the top of the roof. So they walked up there and, and they began to dig, to dig in the roof, the ceiling of this house that is not theirs with all of these people around. Imagine, imagine how convinced you'd have to be to be doing that. How convinced you'd have to be that, that Jesus is going to heal my friend. If you were one of those guys digging in the roof. I mean, what was going on in your head? How convinced were you that this Jesus was going to heal your friend? I mean, they didn't come planning to dig in the roof, so they didn't have shovels. I mean, maybe they stole borrowed a shovel from a nearby house, I don't know. Maybe maybe they were on their hands and knees digging through this thatch and mud. And remember, this is a hard ceiling. It's a roof. It doesn't just come undone, but they're digging. They're, they're probably getting sweaty and bloody. They're dirty. They're a mess, and they're working hard to dig this hole. And, and what's going on in the meantime for the people who are listening to Jesus in the house? I mean, are they hearing things going on above? Are they distracted by that? Do they have dirt falling on their, their heads? Um, we, don't, we don't really know. And this is an interesting thing about the way that the story is told is I would think that lots of time would be given to, to what's going on with this weird digging a hole scenario. But, but Peter goes right over that and he focuses in on Jesus' response as if to say, you know, Jesus' response to all of this is, is this is the interesting part of the story, not this weird, weird scenario of men digging through a ceiling to get uh, lower their friend down. So, so they, Peter narrows in on Jesus' response. Now, the response we read in chapter five is this chapter. It's in chapter two, verse five, where Peter, or Jesus says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So if you were in that, building, in that house, and you saw all this come, come down, this man comes down, lying on a mat, and Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. How would you have been interacting with that? Would you be one of those people who you're actually doing the damage calculation? Okay, hole in the roof, five feet long, three feet wide. That's about five thousand dollars or or no, they didn't have dollars. So that's about five chickens and two months of labor. Um, So you're you're doing the calculation in your head, perhaps. Or maybe you're one of those people um, where you were loving the teaching and, and you're annoyed at now this distraction of this, this paralyzed man has been dropped down, there's dirt all over the place, and, and you just want Jesus to get back to his teaching. I mean, you waited a long time to get this front row seat, but now this guy's dropped down right in front of you. I mean, you're just irritated at the whole thing. Or perhaps you're focused in and you're amazed at Jesus's patient response. Who is this Jesus that he he doesn't get irritated with this guy? He he just says, son, your sins are forgiven. So we go on and, and we're told that others in this scenario, in this story, the teachers of the law, their response is when they hear Jesus say that, they think to themselves, he can't say that. You know, for them, they're probably thinking he, you know, um, he's not a priest like us. He hasn't been trained like us. So we, can, we can declare forgiveness for people on behalf of God because we've been trained. We're here. Jesus is just here. Doesn't everybody know that we're the important ones? We have authority, not Jesus. And, and you see kind of the jealousy or fear or pride coming out in their thoughts. And perhaps they further reason that, well, we can't say anything because it's going to, it's going to be obvious to everyone how jealous we are. And, and then, well, maybe, maybe he's not saying that he's, he's just declaring forgiveness on God's behalf. Maybe, maybe he's actually saying that he is forgiving their sin. Well, that's blasphemy. He can't say he forgives sin because only God has the authority to forgive sin. He's blaspheming. So they think, okay, that that accusation, maybe that will stick. And then immediately, we read that Jesus knows their thoughts. So as he knew the thoughts of the friends who worked to bring the paralyzed man to Jesus, as Jesus saw their faith, Jesus knows the thoughts of these teachers of the law. He sees their jealousy and their fear. And he asks them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? And I think he asks them that, not because he doesn't know. He knows why they're thinking these things. He asks them because he wants them to consider why they are thinking these things. And then he asks this brilliant question in verse 9. He says, which is easier This is really setting things up for something incredible. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your mat and walk out of here? Which is easier? You know, the the religious leaders, their minds are spinning. And and imagine, you know, as you're sitting around and you're listening to this, what would be your quick answer to that question? Which is easier? Uh, And... So, so maybe you, know, you can come to your senses and realize, okay, which is easier? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really falsify that. You can't prove whether or not in that moment the person's sins have actually been forgiven. So it's easier to say that because if I say your, um, take up your mat and walk, then, then that has to be immediately validated. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven And then as everybody's thinking through that question, the religious leaders and everyone else in the room, Jesus spells it out for them clearly. He says in verse 10, he says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So the Son of Man, that's this reference to a prophecy in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel chapter 7, where God talks about this Son of Man who would be given the authority to dispense God's judgment. So this is God's sent one who has authority to dispense his judgment. And so the Son of Man, in this Daniel prophecy, Jesus is is making the connection, and he's saying this Son of Man doesn't only have the authority to dispense God's judgment, but what comes with that is the authority to forgive sin, which he, as the Son of Man, has. And the sign that he's about to do, he says, will prove that authority. So in verses 11 and 12, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The people are rightly amazed at this scenario. This man has the authority to forgive sins and to heal disease. So they praised God that He had sent this man with such authority. Well, they not everyone praised God. We know the religious leaders there they're still fighting this. They're fighting this supposed authority. So the question is, if you were one of the people in that room, would you have been praising God for what you saw, for this authority? Or would you have been fighting in your mind against this authority? You know, the interesting thing is that this is not just a story told about the most impactful man who, ever's, who has ever lived from the most uh, best-selling book ever sold. This is actually an eyewitness account of something that really happened. So if this really happened, then then we should not simply ask the question, what would we have done had we been there, but... What will we do in response to Jesus? How are you responding to Jesus now? Are you fighting his authority? Are you ignoring his message or are you praising and following him? So let's think about those three just as a mo- for a moment, and I, I invite you to, to be processing this with the Lord as we consider this. Are you fighting his authority? I mean, when it comes down to it, many of us, we want to be in charge of us. We want to be the boss, the king of us. I want to do what I want to do, and I fight against authority. I can think of so many times in my life where the um, I am tempted to act selfishly, and and I remember what God teaches in His Word. I remember um, because of the the Holy Spirit in me reminding me of God's Word, and I remember you know I. I shouldn't do this. The Lord is inviting me to a more humble way, but I want to do this thing following my selfish preferences. And, and there's this fight within me where, where I battle with the Lord and I say, Lord, no, have you really thought this through? If, if I do this thing that you're asking me to do, this isn't going to work out and this isn't going to work out and this might happen. And the Lord simply continues to invite me. I invite you to follow me and to not follow your selfish preference. And there's a battle within. I imagine you can, you, can, you can remember or you can relate to this kind of battle within yourself. You fight this authority sometimes. The Lord is inviting us to accept his authority. So then the other question to consider is, are you ignoring this message? You know, some of us, we just, want to, we just want to have fun and enjoy life. We don't want to have to think about spiritual things or difficult things or serious things. We just want to enjoy life. A 15-year-old says, you know what, just let me enjoy high school and have fun with my friends. I don't want to think about these things right now. I'll think about them later. The 22-year-old says, you know what, I just want to enjoy my my independence right now and the excitement of finding and starting my career. I don't want to think about these things right now. The 45-year-old says, you know what, I I have my family and I have my job. I can't handle anything else. I don't want to think about these things right now. The 65-year-old says, you know what, I'm trying to finish my career and and turn the corner into retirement. I, I don't want to think about these things right now. Are you ignoring the message of Jesus? Or are you praising him? Are you responding to him with praise and following him? This praise that we can respond with, uh, the way we can respond in praise, it's, it's wrapped in this astonishment. We're, we're amazed at who he is and what he claims. And and what it means for me to to, um, praise him and start to follow him is to give my allegiance to him. He has authority to forgive sin and heal disease. He can save me. So to praise him is ultimately to recognize his authority and with gratitude to give him our allegiance. This story invites us to stop fighting his authority, to stop ignoring his message, and to start praising God who sent this Savior who has authority to forgive sin and heal disease. Start following him. I encourage you, even this week as we step into this Mark sermon series, that that you would read through the Gospel of Mark. Start looking at this Jesus and what he did and what he said and be astonished with who he is. I want to close in prayer and the worship team will come up and, and we'll move into a song of response in a moment But before we do that, I just want to invite you to linger with the Lord and ask him this question. Ask him about your response to him. Are you fighting his authority right now? Are you ignoring his message? Or are you responding with praise and following him?